Hi there, welcome to Southside Baptist Church's Sermon Audio Podcast. To learn more about us, you can check out our website at southsidesbc.org or you can go to our Facebook page. If you'd like to connect with us, you can send us an email at info at southsidesbc.org. If this podcast has been a blessing to you, please go on to your podcast platform and leave us a positive review to help others find our content more easily. Thanks for listening and have a great week. Uh, This morning, as I said earlier, we're going to be continuing in our series um, on sex and sexuality and sexual relations. And uh, we talked last time, uh, it was actually two weeks ago, wasn't it a great time last week with uh, uh, the missionaries that were here? Um, I just uh, really appreciate them and um, the opportunity to have them share and just interact with them. And so I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, But we're continuing in our series and we're talking about Sex. It's a difficult topic. Last time we talked about God's design for sex. And uh, today we're going to be talking about how we kind of mess up God's design a lot many times. Uh, You know, in our world today, uh, people do what they want to do, right? People do what they want to do simply because they want to do that. And many times, uh, I would say most of the time, maybe all the time, people do what they want to do because they think doing what they want to do is going to make them happy. And the chief goal for most people is, I want to do what makes me happy, right? So can I tell you something? I give you something that maybe you don't expect from a preacher and you don't expect from God, whatever. God wants you to be happy. He wants you to be happy. The thing is, and the problem that we don't understand is, he's the only one that knows what will truly make us happy and what will truly bring us joy and what will truly help us to flourish. I want you to imagine something for just a minute. And this is going to be harder for some of us to imagine than others, okay? I want you to imagine that you are young. All right? Go back in time, travel back in time, all right, with Mr. Rogers, you know, all the way back and take the little train into imaginary land. Everybody remembers that, right? Man, loved Mr. Rogers. Um, is it still on today? I don't know. Is Mr. Rogers still on? Anybody still watch Mr. Rogers? I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. That was a diversion. So anyway, all right. So, but we're going into imaginary land. I want you to imagine that you're young. I want you to imagine that you are just out of college. I want you to imagine that um, you have just gotten your first job and you've gotten some good advice and that advice is to not go into debt. That's good advice, right? Dave Ramsey would tell you that. Probably your mom and dad would tell you that. That's, That's good advice. Don't go into debt. However, you're young. You just got your your first place. And you know what? You look around your first place, and maybe it's an apartment, you know. Um, it's like, uh, you know, Laura and I got married, and we were, <laughs> don't get her talking about this sometime, but we, we rented an apartment above somebody's house. It was the second floor to somebody's house, stairs outside, so it's separate entrance and so forth. But um, can I just say, I rented it, and she was not around when I rented it. 
And so we signed a one-year lease, and when that one-year lease was over, guess what? We were out of there, okay? We were out. Uh, I'll let her tell you more about that later. But anyway, uh, just imagine, you've got your first place, and you look around, maybe it's an apartment, maybe it's a, a rental house, maybe you had the opportunity to buy a house, whatever, and you look around, and it's empty. And you have nothing, right? Except for the tiny little single bed that you grew up on and the dresser that was passed down for four generations that your mom and dad gave you. And so you're out one day and you're at Walmart and you're in the electronic section and you're on this wall that has TVs all up and down them. And you see this big screen TV and you say, you know what? I don't have a TV. I need a TV. And you know what? I, I, you can't wait till that next Friday when you get paid. You say, let me get it now and I can pay $25 a month and I've got that TV. And so you continue looking around and you go into a furniture store and you see this wonderful set couch and love seat and, and then it's even got a side table and it even comes with lamps. And you can't resist and you say, I need this this, this set of furniture. And so you say, well, you know what? I don't have the money yet to buy it, but you know what? The salesman says, you know, $50 a month and you can have this nice furniture set. And so you say, sold, I need that. And then you go back to Walmart or Target, you know, and uh, Target and you just, uh, you know, you, you realize, you know what? I don't have any pots and I don't have any pans. I don't have any dishes. I don't have anything to cook with. I don't have bowls, nothing. And so you load up all your cart and you take your credit card out and you charge that and you say, oh, well, I can pay it off because it's this. And you've got, now you've got everything you need. And then on your way home, your car breaks down. So you say, you know what? I'm, I'm starting a new life. And so you go and you buy a car and it's only $2.99 a month, right? And so you go out and you get all these things that you need. Six months, a year down the road, you're sitting at home and you say, you know what? I don't have the money to go out like I'd want to go out. I don't have the money to go out with my friends. I don't have the money to go out to eat and so forth. And you, six months, a year down the road, even though you love that stuff when you got it, it was great. But you realize, you know what? I regret making those purchases. You regret fulfilling the instant gratification that you wanted. Um, you thought you'd be happy, but it didn't satisfy all of your needs, right? You settled for happy now instead of happy later. Now, let me, let me relate that real quickly for boys and girls, teenagers, okay? Uh, you're not old enough to get in debt yet, but especially teenagers who are here and, and listening, um, you remember, just remember back a few years when you went trick-or-treating, okay? You said, my parents won't let me trick-or-treat. Okay, that's fine. Um, imagine it's Christmas time and you've got a big stocking, okay? Either one and you, you hit the jackpot with, you know, you get come back with a lot of candy trick-or-treating or you know what? Your whole stocking is full of candy. You pour it out and there's this big pile of candy there, enough candy to last you for a month, two months, for a long time. But you know what? Your parents aren't paying attention. And so you start eating that candy and you eat this Reese's, and oh man, the Snickers is good. And you start eating that, and you get a sucker and a Tootsie Roll Pop, and you start eating all this candy. And before you know it, half the pile is gone. A couple hours later, what happens? You start feeling not so good. 
Your parents then realize when they ask you what happened, they realize you ate half the candy. So then they now take away as a discipline for you, take away the rest of your candy. And you're sitting there just three hours removed from all this wonderful candy thinking, why in the world did I just do what I wanted to do then and instantly gratify myself when I later regretted it. Friends, I tell you these two situations, um, because I believe the same thing that can happen with kids with candy in that type of situation, the same thing that can happen with debt can be, and I believe many times is true with sexual sin as well. Um, We believe that we can do whatever we want with our bodies. After all, it's my body, I can do what I want with it, right? So what do we do? We make choices based on that that it's my body, I can do what I want with it. The, and we make choices and we do this or we do that at premarital sex or get involved in things that we shouldn't get involved in uh, outside of that. And the problem is that we forget later on there are consequences for the choices and the actions that we, that we do. Amen? There are, there are consequences. Broken relationships. Diseases. Uh, mental and emotional anguish regret, hurting the people we love. Friends, not to mention that we're going to have to answer to God for all of this. And it often leads to a place of pain and heartache and regret down the road and not to the place that we think it will. Proverbs 14, 12, you know, I quote this a lot, says this, it says, there is a way that seems right to a man but its end is the way of death. You know why I quote that a lot? Because we need to memorize that, amen? That the Holy Spirit can bring that to our memory. There's a way that seems right to us, but in in the end, its way is death. Friends, let me put it in common terms. Happy now doesn't mean happy later. This morning, um, we're gonna talk about some of these instant gratification decisions that we make, these happy now choices that we often make and that people often make that things that they think will satisfy them, things that they think will fulfill them and make them happy, but in the end, actually don't. Um, We're going to talk about a lot of different um, deviations, twistings, if you will, of God's design for sex. Um, and let me just say this, we could spend a lot more time on this than we're going to spend this morning. Okay. In fact, uh, this is going to be a three part series. We could make it a 12 part series and still probably not be done. Um, but for the sake of time and for the sake that I don't think you want me to preach 12 weeks on this, we're going to handle a lot of stuff this morning. Okay. Um, we're going to talk about what each of these twistings of God's design are. I've kind of put them into some categories. Um, We're going to talk about different manifestations of each, and then we're going to look at what God's word has to say about each. Now, let me give you a couple of caveats here, okay? I'm sure there is more that I could say about each and every one of these things, okay? I can't say everything. In fact, and the second thing, I don't claim to be an expert on all these things that the world comes up with and all these deviations and and twistings of God's design. I want to hopefully just uh, give you a synopsis of certain things and help us in our understanding, but I don't claim to be an expert on this. Um, But what I 
I, I do want to point us to is God's word and what God's word has to say about this. So while I'll probably leave some things out, especially related to what um, the things that people do in the world, um, I believe that God's word um, will speak to the things that we needed to speak to. So with all that said and those caveats, um, last time, two weeks ago, message number one of this series, we talked about God's design. We talked about how God created us, what? Male and female, okay? And he created us um, in a way that we are distinct, yet we complement one another as male and female. Remember, the two shall become one flesh. And uh, we talked about how we have distinct roles within God's plan and how as uh, male and female, God created us to complement one another and to honor him in the God-ordained institution of marriage, which is intended to point others to Christ and our marriage, ultimate marriage with him. Amen? Um, symbolically. So we talked about what the problem is as so often happens with human beings, we deviate from God's design. We twist what God says and we do oftentimes just simply what we want to do. So this morning, I want to give you three categories, if you will, of twisting of God's design. Number one, the first way human beings, I believe, try to twist God's design is in the area of gender identity. It's in the area of gender identity. Now, big, big question is, what is gender identity? Uh, I'll just kind of be frank with you about this. Um, in studying for this and in learning uh, kind of about some of what is going on in the world today, I've learned a lot. So my guess is that while sometimes we pretend like we know a lot, many of you probably don't. And that's okay. I didn't either. The question, well, first question that we need to ask is, what does that mean? What is gender identity? Well, friends, gender identity, according to the world, can be defined as a person's inner sense of being male or being female or neither or somewhere in between. Okay, now if that sounds a little bit ambiguous, it is, okay? Um, gender identity is a term that has only begun to be used fairly frequently, um, especially about people, okay? Gender is a, a word that uh, used to be just used of, uh, langu in language and so forth, but uh, only being started, you've been used about people fairly recently in the past 50 years or so. Um, and, and, and so... Uh, gender identity is a fairly new term, especially it's become popular in the past 10 years or so. Now, there are two terms that you're going to hear me use this morning, especially as we talk about this section, that, that may confuse you a little bit if you don't understand the nuances of how they are being used in the world today. Okay? And so these two words are sex and gender. Let me define even those a little bit. A person's sex and a person's gender. Now, when you hear me say those two words, most people here, most of you probably think of these terms as synonymous, right? Um, and rightfully so. Um, you know, because if you were born biologically a man, you're a male. If you're born biologically a woman, you are a female. 
And so you may say, well, pastor, what's the big deal? A person's sex and a person's gender go together, right? Well, in today's culture, many have started to make distinctions with these words. Okay, now this is important to understand what's going on in the world around us today. Um, many have started saying that a person's sex correlates to their biological anatomy. Okay, that makes sense, right? But a person, while a person's gender correlates to how they feel about that as a person. In other words, um, according to the world today, um, it doesn't matter whether you are biologically a male or biologically a woman, how do you feel? Do you feel like a man? Do you feel like a woman? Now, I know there's a song about that, so I will not break out in song right now. Um, but, you know, so according to our culture today, that would be someone's gender identity. Not what sex they are, but how do they feel about that? Now, as we talk about this topic or this heading of gender identity, um, it encompasses a lot of terms. A lot of terms that people use to identify themselves. Maybe they don't want to use certain of these terms. That's okay. Um, uh, but things that, that we would understand um, that would fall under this category. So let me list some of these. And I don't know, you may want to write these down. I, you really don't have to. Um, but I think it's important for us to understand. So under gender identity would fall such, um, such terms and uh, people who may ident identify, first of all, as a transvestite. Okay, now that's a little bit of an older term. Uh, that's a cross-dresser, someone who's a man who likes to dress like a woman or vice versa, a drag queen or a drag king, if you will. Second is, a word, is the word transgender. Now, transgender is also a word that sometimes is used very broadly um, just to talk in, in place of the word uh, gender identity. Um, if someone is transgender, they are claiming to be a, a gender um, other than their biological sex, okay? So they're, they're a biological man, but they say they feel like a woman or some variation of that. So that's the term transgender. There's also, uh, well, and before we go on to that, that also would include those who maybe are moving down the line of having a sex change or thinking about having a sex change. Uh, sometimes how that progresses, somebody feels like they are something different than what they are. And so then they begin to, uh, have a doctor begin to make changes to their body to change their physical body and their sex into something else. And so we need to understand that falls under this gender identity category. There's a newer term called non-binary, uh, which uh, is uh, someone may say they're non-binary, and so they mean that they are claiming to be to be neither gender. Maybe they're rejecting the fact that there are just two genders, and they're claiming to be neither gender or somewhere in between. And friends, let me also just say that that even those terms don't encompass all of the craziness that is out there related to this. That is, in many senses, getting out of hand as people are coming up with all sorts of additional terms to describe and to label themselves of how they feel and what they identify with as their gender, okay? So we've defined that, at least to some degree. Uh, and there's other words and things that people would use that might fall under this category of gender identity. Now, the question for us and the question I wanna answer and the question I believe that is apropos for the moment and for our society and for us is, now what does God's word have to say about this? 
Let's take our Bibles and look at Genesis chapter 1. We talked about this last time when we talked about God's design, but let's look at it again and let's apply it to this specific situation. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 says this, says, then God said, let us make man in our image. This is the God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Godhead. That's why there's a plurality of the term here. It says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And he goes on to say, let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, so forth and so on. Verse 27, he says this. So God created man in his own image. We talked about that last time. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Friends, so God, when God created us as mankind, he created, and we, as we looked at last time on down uh, in chapter two, we see that God made Adam out of the dust of the ground. And then he took, what, the, the, the rib out of his side and he formed Eve and made he a woman, right? And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So God made mankind male and female in two, two sexes, two genders, if you want to use that term, a man and a woman. Friends, Jesus reiterates this in Matthew chapter 19. Look on the screen with me, if you will. We looked at this last week where he says this. He answered, he was being questioned about divorce. And Jesus simply says, he answered and said to them, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? Friends, listen, God didn't come up with this later, right? This was part of his design. At the beginning, it says, uh, he didn't decide, decide it later. He didn't make us with the option to choose. It says, God made them at the beginning, male and what? Female. Uh, God created us in two distinct genders. We are the same kind, right? Um, but different and distinct from one another in many ways. Um, ladies, aren't you glad you're not a disgusting guy sometimes, right? Amen. Guys, aren't you glad it doesn't take you that long to get ready? Amen. Um, I'm sorry. I, that's, I, that's, those are actually stereotypes and probably not, but, but anyway, um, listen, the point is God made us different and distinct, but complementary and made to fit together. That's why the scripture says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become what? One flesh. He made a man and a woman and as far as humans go, that was it. Now, Kevin Young, Kevin D. Young says this. He says, the Bible knows no other gender categories besides male and female. Okay, we need to understand that. He goes on to say, while men and women in the Bible and men and women today may express their masculinity and their femininity in a wonderful diversity of ways, what he's saying there is that, listen, um, there's different, the stereotypes don't always fit, right? Just because you don't fit the stereotype doesn't mean you're not a man or a woman. God, you are a man or woman, depending upon biologically how God made you. He says, just because men and women may express their masculine and feminine in a wonderful diversity of way, God's word still operates solely within the two categories of male and female. Now, Pastor Brandon and I were talking about this this past week. 
And uh, I thought Pastor Brandon brought up something very, very important that I wanted to talk to you about. And that is simply, um, we were talking about how many people confuse gender with personality. Um, And they think that because they don't do typical manly things, that they're not a man. Or because they don't do typical womanly things, then they're not a woman and they should identify as something other than their biological sex. That's not so. It's not necessary. Um, If you don't fit the stereotypes, you know what? That's okay. You are still biologically a man, biologically a woman. You can be a man and not like sports or hunting or dirt or whatever, okay? Or you can be a woman and like football, amen? You can be a woman and you can like um, or you can have a job working in construction or whatever. Just because maybe you don't fit the stereotypical things sometimes of being that doesn't mean that you have to redefine your gender to fit your personality. You can be a man and have your own personality, and you can be a woman and have your own personality. Um, here's the deal, though. We need to just let our identity be in Christ, Just let your identity be in Christ and not um, have to be defined by your gender. Um, Let your identity be in Christ and within the bounds of who he made you to be. And then let God's word help you to define that. Amen? Not culture, not fads, not somebody else. Listen, if if you are a man, if you are biologically born a man, You are called, according to God's word, to lead your family, spiritually and otherwise. You are called to love your family and your wife as Christ loved the church, right? You are called to protect her. You are called to watch over your family and to provide for them. You are called to sacrifice yourself for them. And um, and if you decide to marry, you are called to be a good husband to your wife. If you have children, you are called to be a father to your children and to lead them spiritually. Those are just some of the roles and responsibilities that God has called us to as men. Outside of that, there is, uh, there is flexibility for you to live within the personality that God's given you, but as a man. If you're a woman, if you're a biologically woman, you're called to nurture and care for your family. You are called to nurture and care even for others. It comes naturally to ladies. You are called to birth the next generation. You are uniquely designed to do that. We as men are not. Hallelujah. Praise God. Um, And you are called to be a help to your husband if you marry, and you are called to be a mother to your children if you have children. Now, that may look different for different people, okay? It may, um, it, it may have different nuances to one person than another. And personally, I believe um, there is probably a lot more flexibility in that than many would like to admit, friends. But the reality is there are biological, God-given roles for, for each biological sex to fulfill. Um, I believe this is why Scripture maintains the distinctions uh, and some of the things that it, that it 
commands and throughout the history of scripture, some of the things that it says uh, to maintain the distinctions between men and woman uh, and why even, I want you to look at this, Deuteronomy chapter 22, why Israel is told this, okay? Um, Deuteronomy 22.5 says this, a woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, nor shall a man put on a woman's garment for all who do so are an abomination to the Lord your God. Now, Many commentators believe that the words here are referring to things other than just clothing, okay? And uh, that may be the case. Uh, but nevertheless, um, I just want you, to, want you to think about this, the, the, the importance of this. Why, why are we told this? Why in the New Testament does Paul say some things about what a woman wears versus what a man wears, about hair and all those kinds of things? Listen, um, if you look down through the ages and even if you look in different cultures, what a man um, is uh, what is typical for a man and what is typical for a woman is different based on culture and so forth, right? I mean, you think about in Jesus' day, they wore long tunics, probably back in the day here, right? Men wore long tunics. So to say that men shouldn't wear dresses or ladies shouldn't wear pants probably doesn't fit in this category. But, but well, I believe what is being said here is that there needs to remain a distinction between men and women, and we cannot blur the lines between the two. God made them male and female, okay? And the intention is to maintain the distinctions between them. And anything we do to, out, uh, to, to blur those lines and to take it outside of those lines and to begin to want to change our sex or our quote-unquote gender identity, I believe is a slap in the face of a holy God who designed us and made us the way that we were born. And you know what it ultimately does? And so if you didn't, you did not, we're not here two weeks ago, or if you're watching online and you didn't see the message, the first message in this series, when we do that, it ultimately messes with God's design for marriage. Marriage between a man and a woman was meant to complement one another and was meant to portray our relationship between us as believers and Jesus, our relationship between him, him and his church. And when we mess with all of that, we mess with God's design and the purpose for which he designed us. Number two, that's the first way in which we twist God's design. Number two, the second way that, um, many times people try to twist God's design is in the area of sexual orientation. It's in the area of sexual orientation. You may say, but pastor, didn't we just talk about that? Isn't that what you were just talking about a minute ago? Well, not exactly. While gender identity is how you feel about one another, sexual orientation relates uh, to who, who someone is attracted to, who you are attracted to and who, um, who someone is attracted to and who they want to have a relationship with, okay? It can encompass a variety of labels and terms that people use to describe themselves, such as, homo, uh, such as let's just start with this, heterosexual, right? Um, heterosexual is the meaning um, people, you're attracted to people of the opposite sex. Um, sometimes we just call that they're straight, right? And so um, we'll talk about this more in just a, just a minute. 
That's the way God designed us. So God designed us to be attracted to people of the opposite sex. Now, we'll talk about this again in a minute, but there are even ways to pervert that. We'll come back to that. It also encompasses a bunch of other labels. Sexual orientation encompasses the label of homosexuality. Sometimes people prefer the term gay or lesbian, um, meaning someone is attracted to the same sex. Homo meaning same, they're attracted to the same sex. It also encompasses bisexual, where someone says they are attracted to both sexes, male and female. Um, Pansexual is a more modern term that people use saying they're attracted to whomever, no matter what they identify as. Um, Asexual is a term uh, under this category, which means it speaks of someone who experiences no sexual attraction. There's a variety of reasons that that could be, uh, be happening, but someone who experiences no sexual attraction. I'll even throw in this category something that is talked about in the Bible, and that's celibacy, uh, specifically someone who chooses to refrain from sexual activity. Now, as we think about these different um, subcategories under this heading, um, these last two, we talk about asexuality and celibacy, are fine, right? If somebody either is not attracted to anyone, for that matter, or sexually, and they remain sexually pure, or if they choose to remain sexually pure and choose maybe not even to marry, um, as Paul says, that's good. That's fine. Nothing wrong with that. They can focus on the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean that marriage is wrong or bad. God designed marriage. We talked about that. But those two things is bad. The first one, we talked about being heterosexual is natural and good as long as, right, it is expressed within the bounds of marriage only. We'll deal with that and perversions of that here in just a minute. It's the ones in the middle that I want to deal with right now. Homosexuality, bisexuality, pansexuality, any other name there you want to come up with or people may come up with that would fit in the category of desiring to have sex with someone of the same sex that you are. So with these, um, you're basically dealing with one question. With all of those, here's the question you're dealing with, and that is this. What about someone being attracted to someone else of the same sex? Is having sexual relations or sexual intercourse with someone of the same sex okay? Well, what does God's word have to say about this? I want you to first look here on the screen with me, if you will. You can turn there if you want to, to Leviticus chapter 18. Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22 says this. It says, you shall, in, 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 in a litany here in Leviticus chapter 18 of moral commands that God is giving to the Israelites, um, in verse 22, he says this, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Now, uh, let me just, people try to um, explain away things that the Bible says pretty clearly, okay? Now, we're not talking about telling untruths here, okay? It's talking about sexual relations. This is a euphemism for sex, and saying simply that you shall not have, talking about men, you should not have sex with a man as you would with a woman. It is an abomination before the Lord. Now, some would say, Pastor, that's Old Testament law. That's Old Testament Jewish law. That doesn't apply anymore. 
Friends, there are various laws in the Old Testament that God gives to Israel. Some are moral laws, such as the Ten Commandments. Those apply for all time, right? Some are ceremonial laws. Those apply uh, to the Jews and in them carrying out the ceremonies that God gave to them. Some are um, specific uh, civil laws for the Jews, Here, I believe this is a moral law. It's in a category also in Leviticus chapter 18 with other moral laws. And if you look at the context in Leviticus chapter 18, what God is saying to the Israelites specifically, yes, he's speaking to the Israelites, but he's calling them to not be like the other nations who have settled in the land of Canaan, not be like Egypt, whom they came out of and all the sexual perversions that all of those nations participate in, but he's calling Israel to be separate and holy from all of that unto himself. And so he is setting apart some moral laws for them when he says, you shall not lie with a man as with a woman. It's an abomination. So friends, I believe that applies to us, to our generation as well. Now, not to mention that the New Testament speaks about this as well. I want to invite you to turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, Paul begins his letter to the Romans with some very straightforward stuff. That speaks about um, what is it, uh, how is God's wrath revealed and and why will God's wrath be revealed upon mankind? Verse 18 says this, says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So simply saying, he's simply saying here, the wrath of God is, has been, will be revealed against unrighteousness, against sin. Amen. And he goes on to describe kind of the Um, depravity of man and the uh, extent to which sin can take mankind. And and it really gives us an insight into the, the, the mindset behind our sinful nature. He says, because what may be known of God is manifest to them, for God has shown it to them. In other words, everybody ought to be able to, everybody knows God because he's placed something inside of us um, to, to recognize that. He goes on to explain that. He says, verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible, invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So we, could, we ought to be able to see God in everything that's created around us. Because although they knew God, in other words, he's saying, listen, you know, everybody knows that he's there. Even though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. So as people, as we have sometimes rejected God, that's what happens to us. Our thoughts and our minds become darkened. Verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools. Does that not describe our world today? And changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Listen, throughout the history of mankind, idols, literal idols have been made to worship instead of God. How foolish is that? Listen, we also make idols today. Here in America, we have our own idols. 
Therefore, verse 24, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. So he goes, what extent does sin go to? He's getting ready to describe it. He says, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. So this is behind all of the sin and the wickedness and stuff that is rejection of God is simply because we want to glorify ourselves and do what we want to do and lift up ourselves instead of worship God as God. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. What's he talking about there? He's talking about lesbianism. Likewise, verse 27, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Okay, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. Listen, that's Paul's nice politically correct in that day way of saying homosexuality. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness. And he goes on to list a litany of sins, not just homosexuality and not just, but including all forms of sexual immorality. And he goes on all this list all the way down through verse 31, but look at verse 32 and he says this, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, in other words, everybody knows in their deepest heart of hearts that they're going to stand before God one day, whether they admit it or not, that those who practice such things are deserving of death. Not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. So what we see here is that part of the rejection by humanity of God are homosexual actions that are described as shameful in verse 27, as sinful, as committed out of a debased mind in verse 28, I believe it is, and according to verse 32, deserving of death. Um, according to these verses, homosexuality, there is no, uh, no question that it is by the Scripture called a sin. As if that was not enough, look at what 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10 says this. It says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, that's a blanket statement, right? But those who are not right, can I just say that includes all of us? Amen. We're all unrighteous in and of ourselves. But what is he talking about? He's not just talking about general sin. He's talking about continuing in sin. It says, do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, revilers, or extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. So here he's saying that with a litany of other sins and so forth, he singles out homosexuality, sodomites named because of the sin that was committed in the city of Sodom. In that, talking about homosexuals and those who participate with them being a sin. And not only being a sin, but those who participate in these things and continue in these things, what does it say? Will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, some of you may have a question. Pastor, are you saying that if I've committed adultery, if I've gotten drunk in my lifetime, if I've experimented with homosexuality, if I've um, dabbled in it, or if I've had thoughts about it, are you saying then that I am doomed? Is that what this verse is saying? Is this verse saying that I can't go to heaven? 
No. I don't believe that's what this verse is saying at all. In fact, I want to invite you to go back to verse 32 of Romans chapter 1. Because it says something here. It says, Who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things, what? Practice such things. Those who, who, who make it a lifestyle. Those who um, not just do it once or not just fall into one sexual sin, but those who make a lifestyle of putting their sexual uh, activity and their sexual relations as king of their life instead of Jesus. Friends, there's an important distinction here and also in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The, the distinction is, and I believe the focus of the condemnation of this sin and the others that are being talked about here in God's word is for those who live a lifestyle of that sin, not just uh, who fall into it or not just who are tempted with it or not just um, uh, are in it for a time. And that, and that it, I believe, applies to homosexuality. I believe it applies to same-sex sexual interaction. Uh, same-sex lust also um, fall into that category as well. Those who live a lifestyle of that is what it's talking about. Just being tempted, just having thoughts run through your head doesn't condemn you. And in fact, because uh, some people might think, well, pastor, um, well, what if I've had homosexual desires? The question is not whether you've had those desires or those temptations. Have you acted on them? And when I say acted on them, I include in the fact, have you uh, made that a lust in your heart? Friends, someone may have some homosexual desires but not act on them. And guess what? That's good. That's what we should do. It, that's no different than someone having heteros desires for heterosexual sin outside of marriage and not acting on them. That's what we should do. We should not act on them. Just because you are tempted in a certain way does not make you uh, a homosexual and, and does not make you um, where you are um, uh, doomed by God. But if you entertain those thoughts and they become lust in your heart or something more, then that is sin and an abomination before the Lord. Friends, here's the more important thing for us to remember. And let me remind you, friends, we can always repent and turn from our sin. Amen? We can always repent and turn from our sin. Listen, here's the reality and why I kind of made a point as I was going through that. All sin is deserving of death. All sin is deserving of death, even heterosexual sexual sin. And, and friends, that's why we need Jesus. That's why we've got to trust him as Lord and Savior. That's why he had to die on the cross because we are selfish and we are self-centered and we do what we want to do instead of what God wants us to do, friends. So that's why we must trust him as Lord and Savior. But here's an important point. As with any sin, friends, what does the scripture say? The book of Acts says, Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. If we don't repent and turn from the sin and turn to Christ, then we've missed a crucial part of salvation. Doesn't mean we may not struggle with a sin, um, but the direction of our life ought to be focused on Christ and being set apart unto him and becoming more and more holy like him. That's the key, Amen. But friends, that is why, let me just deal with this for just a second. That's why so-called homosexual marriage is wrong. There's several reasons. Number one, 
First of all, because it's not really even marriage at all. It's not marriage. Go back to what we talked about last time. Marriage, as, as God created it and designed it and instituted, is between one man and one woman for life. That's what marriage is. And homosexual marriage, a man and a man and a woman, woman, is not that. It's something else. Second of all, so-called homosexual marriage is wrong because with it comes a lack of repentance. There's a lack of repentance. Listen, it is saying that you want forgiveness, but I'm not going to admit my sin. Listen, if you don't even acknowledge something's a sin, then how in the world can you get forgiveness for that? You can't. Third, because homosexual marriage is, so-called homosexual marriage is a lifestyle of rebellion against God and a disregard for his word. It is either it's just simply ignoring God's word or saying, I don't care about God's word or I don't believe God's word. And thus, it is a lack of trust and faith in God. And fourth, kind of goes back to number one, I said, it is even a rebellion of what real marriage is and what God's design for mankind is. Go back to the first message. I encourage you. I'm going to keep encouraging you. If you haven't watched that, haven't, weren't here for that, do that. Now, as good Christian people, we are often quick to condemn homosexual sin, right? We are. We're often quick to condemn homosexual sin and the other sins that I've mentioned that fall into the same category. But here's what I want to say, and I want to make a strong point for this. Friends, sexual sin, twisting of God's design doesn't just happen in the way of homosexual sin. It also happens in the area of heterosexual sin. That's the third twisting of God's design that I want to talk to you about this morning. Heterosexual sin, heterosexual deviations from God's plan. Friends, some people think that just because they are attracted to people of the opposite sex, then that's, then that, then that's good. They think, you know what? I'm not homosexual. I'm not bisexual. I'm not pansexual. I am, I, 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 I'm, I'm, a, I'm a person who's attracted, I'm a man who's attracted to women. I'm a woman who's attracted to men. And they think that because that, that's how they are, they think then that, that's all it needs to be, that, that it, it doesn't matter. And because they're not doing unnatural things like those other people, then they're okay. Friends, but the reality is that many people who are heterosexual are also living in a way and doing things that are displeasing to God. And I want to just talk to you about some of these this morning. We're going to cover these really quickly, okay? Because God speaks against many heterosexual um, de- deviations and sin as well. First of all, and some of these you think, Pastor, why in the world need to say this? Well, we just do. Let's just cover some of these, all right? We're going to start with some pretty bad ones. First of all, the God's word speaks against rape. It speaks against rape. Now, 
Uh, the context of this in Deuteronomy chapter 22 um, is uh, a lot more than just this. But verse 25 says this, if a man finds a betrothed young woman in the countryside and the man forces her and lies with her, it's talking about sex, it's a euphemism for sex, then only the man who lay with her shall die, but you shall do nothing to the young woman. There's in the young woman no sin deserving of death, for just as when a man rises against his neighbor and kills him, even so is this matter. So it equates rape with murder. It is wrong. We can all agree. Amen. Second of all, God's word speaks against incest, okay? For all of you from Arkansas and Tennessee, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry, shouldn't have said that, right? Um, it's Tennessee, I know. That's, um, Leviticus 18.6 says this. And uh, in fact, this chapter also speaks against a lot of different types of incest, if you will. But here's a blanket verse. It says this, none of you shall approach anyone who is near of kin to him to uncover his nakedness. I am the Lord. Now that uncover his nakedness is also a Hebrew euphemism for sexual relations, but it's speaking here against sexual relations with, with someone you're related to. And it goes into quite a litany there in Leviticus 18, explaining and talking about some of that. Also, next, God's word speaks against polygamy. Now, we're not going to get into all the details of this because some of you say, but pastor, what about so-and-so in the Old Testament? What about this and what about that and so forth? Listen, just because God's word describes something doesn't mean it endorses it. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2 says this, Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. So Paul explaining some things that we talked about last week about um, sex and sexuality within marriage talks about the exclusivity that uh, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two, two shall become what? One flesh. God's word also speaks against, and I hate that we even have to mention this, bestiality. Leviticus 18, 23 simply says this, nor shall you mate with any animal to defile yourself with it, nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It is perversion and we don't even want to talk about it and let's move on. God's word also speaks about against adultery, right? The seventh commandment speaks to this. Exodus 20 verse 14 says very simply, thou shalt not commit adultery. But here's the problem that kind of comes out of that is that many people think that as long as they don't commit adultery, they're okay. That sex outside of marriage or sex before marriage is okay. If they're not married, then you know what? I'm not committing adultery. I'm free to have sex as I please. The Bible just speaks against adultery. And guess what? That is not true. The Bible also speaks against fornication. The Bible also speaks against fornication, which, and you say, what is fornication? Well, in the English language, fornication specifically means sex outside of the bounds of marriage. Fornication, as defined as in Scripture here, means a lot more than that, but includes that, okay? Really, any kind of sexual sin, sexual activity um, and sexual sin, whether it's inside of marriage or, uh, or while you're married or while you're not married, sexual sin is included under this category. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. It says this, it says, but fornication... It's the Greek word pornea. In its broadest sense, it refers to any and all kind of sexual sin. So you'll see it 
um, translated as fornication, as all sexual sin, a couple of different ways in the scripture. It says, but fornication and all uncleanness, as if saying all sexual sin isn't enough, he goes on to say, and all uncleanness or covetousness, wanting things in this area that you shouldn't, let it eat, not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. So, It includes all kinds of sexual sin, including sex before marriage, sex outside of marriage, sexual acts outside of marriage leading to intercourse, and even things like, teenagers, listen to me, sexting, okay? Listen, anything to do with sex, God has reserved for marriage between a man and a woman. You say, but pastor, I've already made mistakes in that area. Well, then stop it. Stop it. Ask for forgiveness. Ask him to cleanse you and start living for Christ. It also includes, last one I'm going to mention here, pornography and lust. Now, Jesus spoke about this in Matthew chapter 5. You're familiar with this when he said this. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Listen, the Pharisees were masters of getting around the law, right? They made lots of laws, but, um, you know, if you, if you just get around it a little bit. There's the, you know, we, we justify things in our heart. Jesus here raises the standard and he equates lust. And I believe it can be applied here, obviously heterosexual lust for, for a person of the opposite sex. Um, but I believe it also can be applied in a homosexual way to uh, having lust in your heart for someone of the same sex is also a sin. Jesus raises the bar there and equates those things to committing adultery. So you can't say, well, at least I haven't committed adultery. I've only done this, friends. The truth is, God's word says that sex of any kind outside the bounds of biblical marriage as God designed it is wrong. Not just homosexuality, not just gender identity sin. Yes, those are wrong, but also heterosexual sin outside of marriage, before marriage, any sexual sin, amen? Now, let me say this. I know that sexual sin is prevalent in our world today. And many are caught up in some form of it. Friends, but Jesus can deliver you from that. Remember, we talked about repentance and forgiveness, amen? Jesus can deliver you from that if you will only let him. I I wanna invite you to turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter six, okay? Because I stopped one verse short earlier on purpose because I knew we were coming back to it. We read this, sir. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Oh my goodness, pastor, I'm in trouble. You're right, we're all in trouble. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, all sexual immorality, right? So we already talked about there. Nor idolaters, put in other things before Christ, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites. It's talking about those who, who constantly live a lifestyle of, of, of gratification in all these ungodly ways. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, 
nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. So we understand that we're, we're in dire need here, but look at verse 11. He says, and such were some of you. Here he writes to the church at Corinth, the church, those who are believers in Christ now, those who are the gathered called out ones. And he says, and such were some. So some of them that Paul was writing to that were gathering together as church used to be homosexuals. They used to be adulterers. They used to be sexual immoralitors. They used to be uh, 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 drunkards. They used to be extortioners. He says, and such, so how, do we, how does that change? Pastor, how can I, how can, how, can I, 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 how can I get away from this? Look at what it says next. It says, but you were washed. You were sanctified, set apart unto the Lord is what that means. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. Here's how you can be changed, friends. You can understand that you deserve death for the sin that you've committed against a holy God. That's the penalty for our sin, okay? But the good news is that the death you deserved, God laid upon his son at the cross, And he willingly went to the cross to die and pay the penalty for your sins so that you don't have to. That if you will simply believe that he did that for you, that the way you've been living is wrong and and, and, and headed, as we said earlier, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Believe that that is not the way I need to be living. And you will turn and simply say, Jesus, I believe you did that for me. Come into my heart and my life and I want to follow you and be, want you to be the boss of my life. That's what we call responding in faith to Christ. If you'll do that, friends, then you'll be forgiven. God will, will change your heart. You'll, you'll be born again, and you'll have a new life in Christ. You'll be forgiven. Amen? And friends, that is available to you today. Whether you're here in person, whether you're watching online, You may say, Pastor, I'm in trouble for all of what I've heard today. We're all in trouble without Jesus. So what happens when we come to Christ? Do do the desires automatically go away? Um, Sometimes. Sometimes immediately I've heard those desires go away when we surrender fully and completely to him. Sometimes it's a little bit of a process of God working on us and the Holy Spirit convicting us and so convicting us and us responding to him. We, you should not be able to continue to sin without feeling the pressure of the Holy Spirit convicting you in your life. If you can sin and not feel the Holy Spirit convicting you of that sin, then you need to, you need to get saved. And you need to get right with Jesus. But I want to invite you, let's look at one more passage this morning. It's a small small book, right after the prison epistles, 1 Thessalonians is where we're going to look. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Because I believe this passage is written specifically, and man, it's almost to believe that it was written just for us today, but I know God and his Holy Spirit applies it in so many different ways in so many different times. But look at what it says in verse 3 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Some people say, what's God's will for my life? Um, I want to know what God wants for my life. Friends, here it is. This is the will of God, Paul writes. Your sanctification, your being set apart unto him, your, 
We could, it, could be, it, could, it could be translated as your holiness. That, and specifically he's talking about in one particular area, look at what he says, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Does the Bible talk about abstinence being the best course of action outside of marriage? Yes, right here. That you should abstain from, and this is the word pornea, this is that all forms of sexual immorality. Look at verse four. He says that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Listen, he's not talking about some boat you own. He's talking about your body. You're the vessel that you are living inside of. We ought to know how to possess our body in sanctification and honor. Verse five, look at this. Not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. Listen, so many Christians today say they love Jesus, say that, but just are living in the lust of their hearts, going out and doing whatever they want to do. Verse six, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter or his sister, I believe we could say there also, because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also forewarned you and testified. Listen, he's talking about sexual sin. He's talking about, listen, there should be none of that stuff going on either. Taking advantage of somebody else in any way, shape or form. Verse seven, for God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. And Paul's right there for just a minute. Um, I would imagine most of you here today agree with most or all of what I've said today. Maybe there's some of you watching online. I hope there are some of you watching online that maybe don't. And you may, be, you may be saying, Pastor, I've heard what you said, but that's what you think, and I don't agree with it. That's your prerogative. But let me correct one thing about your thinking. Let me correct one thing. This is not what I think. What I hope I've done today is showing you that this is what God's word says. And I want you to look at verse eight because verse eight speaks, if that's your thought process, friends, verse eight speaks directly to you. Look at what it says. It says, therefore, he who rejects this, what's the antecedent to this? He's talking about rejects that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Anybody who rejects that does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. So friend, when we say, no, I don't believe that, I'm not gonna live by that, I'm just gonna reject that, you're not rejecting me, you're not rejecting the words of anybody else who says this, just understand who you're rejecting. It's God. You know, I, um, Christmas time is getting near. You say, but pastor, we haven't even got past Thanksgiving yet. I know, but look outside. Um, my daughter, um, my daughter said this morning on the way to church and stuff, she said, well, but it looks like Christmas. Well, it does look like Christmas, right? Um, one of the things that, uh, Laura and I will do sometimes you know, the longer you're married, the harder it is to buy something for your spouse, right? Sometimes, um, especially ladies for guys, right? It's socks, it's underwear, it's, you know, ties, you know, that's about it. And so occasionally, Laura and I will be shopping somewhere. Um, uh, this usually happens August-ish, okay, sometime during the summer. And we'll be shopping somewhere and, and, and I'll see something and, 
I'm like, man, I really, I really like this. I ought to get it. And here's what she'll say is she'll say, well, let me buy it for you for Christmas, right? And so sometimes she does. I said, okay, fine. Get it for me for Christmas. And so she gets it and she wraps it up. And of course, now we're getting close to Christmas. And what happens when the tree gets up and all that presents get put under the tree? Um, Occasionally, I remember, I mean, sometimes it's so long back, I don't even remember, but occasionally I remember that, hey, that present that she bought for me, I know what that is. <laughs> and I really wanted that, right? And so I get excited about that. And so sometimes I will beg her to let me open it. Come on, honey, please, 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 will you let me open that? And most of the time she doesn't. However, um, occasionally she has. She's let me open it, and it's a sweatshirt. And, of course, you know, you got to give good reasoning for it. Honey, let me open it because by the time we get to Christmas, half of winter's going to be over, and I'm not going to be able to wear it. And all that, you know. So, but occasionally she's let me open it, and I open it, and I'm like, oh, thank you, honey, and I put it on and all that, and I enjoy the present. Fast forward. And Christmas comes. And I don't have as many presents because I've already opened a present. And so I hate to admit this. Honey, can you put, put your hands over your ears for just a minute and stuff? Um, friends, I, I, I really hate to admit this, but when I beg and open those presents early, it really takes something away from Christmas. I think it takes something away, not only for me, but I think it probably takes something away for her and the joy of being able to be there among everybody and give me a gift and all of that and so forth. Um, and so it really kind of spoils the gift part of it. And it, in some ways, it really just detracts from the spirit and the, of gift giving in Christmas. Now, why do I tell you that? Friends, I tell you that for this reason. Sexual immorality, that instant gratification of I'm going to do this now because I just want, I want to do it and I'm going to do what I want to do. Whether it is sex before marriage, sex outside of marriage, um, any other perversion of that, homosexual sin, um, it takes away from the beauty of God's great gift to us. I don't know any other way to say this than how I said it last time. God has given us a great gift as human beings, and that is sex to be enjoyed within the bounds of marriage. And when we pervert that, when we twist that, when we deviate from that, it takes away from the great gift that God has given us. Um, friends, we're going to close today. And I was thinking about how, what kind of invitation do you give with this, right? Um, so I want to I I challenge you maybe where you are, okay? I know most of our kids have gone to, to children's church and are out, but boys and girls, teenagers, if you're here today, if you're watching online, 
please listen lovingly to the warnings which you've heard today. Sexual sin is sin against a holy God. Um, and it, 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 it takes away. I, there's stronger words I should say. It perverts, it, it, it destroys in many ways God's beautiful plan. Now, can redemption happen? Absolutely. Can God redeem and forgive and, 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 and restore and renew? Absolutely, he can. But boys and girls, teenagers, hear me, please, please commit yourselves. Would you today commit yourselves to abstinence from sexual activity until you're married? Young people, younger people, if you're not married, I understand it's hard. But again, sex. Sexual immorality, sexual relations outside the bounds of marriage is a sin. And it takes away from the beauty of what God has in store for you and inside the bounds of marriage. And so I would encourage you to make a commitment today to refrain. Now you may say, but pastor, I've already crossed that line. Listen, admit that to God. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to cleanse you and restore you and, and recommit um, recommit to that abstinency from this point forward. Those of you who are married, maybe those of you who are um, in the wise years of life, we need your wisdom. Um, we need, the church needs your wisdom. Your family needs your wisdom. They don't need you preaching at them. Boy, I'm a dad and man, I find myself preaching probably way too much. But they need you to lovingly come alongside them and to help them understand not only the do's and the don'ts of scripture, but the whys as well. Would you commit to being holy and living holy and set apart unto the Lord and to being an example and a light as God provides the opportunity to those around you. Sometimes, friends, speaking into somebody's life that you know their life's not where it needs to be takes guts. It takes every ounce of Holy Spirit you got in you. Do it in love. Do it in gentleness. And in fact, you ask, Pastor, man, you covered so much today. What in the world are you going to talk about in week three? Here's what I'm going to talk about in week three. Um, how do we relate to those who are living in these sins? We love them. I'm going to give you, we love them. And we seek to point them to Jesus. That's my invitation today. Pastor Brandon, if you'll come forward, let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Lord, I uh, thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, this has been a difficult topic, probably to hear. Um, Lord, I thank you for the direction you give us in your word.
I thank you for your great plan. Lord, um, please forgive us for the ways we have, we have messed up your plan for our lives. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to repent. We thank you for the opportunity for forgiveness and restoration and healing. Lord, I ask for that, for all of those who are here that need that, all those who are watching online that need that. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will draw each one of us to yourself in holiness in this area, Lord, and that we would seek to live for you, sanctified, set apart unto you, and let your Holy Spirit rule and reign in our lives each and every day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to Southside Baptist Church's weekly sermon podcast. If there's any way that we can help you, or if you're looking for your next steps to further your journey with Jesus Christ, please contact us at info at southsidesbc.org. Thanks and have a great week.